RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by our Patreon supporter, Jim DeVico. We thank him and all our other patrons for their monthly support. Command codes verified. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 387 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, and your weekly report from the Star Trek multiverse. Recorded live on Tuesday, October 23rd, 2018, and available for download or streaming on Friday, October 26th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Kenna. And I'm Anthony. All right, Kenna, why don't you tell us what we've got coming up this week? Well, this week we're trekking out some hashtag Trek nuggets from Destination Star Trek in Birmingham, England, and a couple new starships from the folks at Eagle Moss. And for you Worf fans out there, it seems that Michael Dorn wants in on new Star Trek, too. In Star Trek gaming news, we are joined by Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al Captain Gecko Rivera, to talk about Age of Discovery and more. And as always, before we wrap up the show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Captains, remember that those hailing frequencies are always open, and we love to hear from you between episodes, so please, reach out to us. We're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast. We're on Twitter at Priority One Pod. You can even send us an email via incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. And now we're on Instagram. Follow us at PriorityOnePod. Now, Captains, we have to take a moment, of course, as we do each week, to thank our patrons. Because without their financial support from month to month, we would not be able to continue to produce the quality content that you've come to expect from Priority One. Their contributions go towards upgrading our software and hardware that we use at conventions like Star Trek Las Vegas and New York Comic Con. Speaking of patrons, a big shout out to new patron Mitchell Farmer. Thank you so very much for joining the family. Now, Captains, we understand that a financial contribution may not be in the cards, but there are other ways that you can support the show, and we see you when you do. For instance, when you share our show on social media platforms like Facebook or Twitter. Tell your friends that they can get their weekly roundup of Star Trek news right here on Priority One. And don't forget to leave us comments on places where you get your podcasts, like iTunes. And there's one other way that you can help us out here at Priority One. We are still looking for volunteer audio editors to join our team. So whether you're an experienced editor or if you just want to learn a new skill, drop us a line. Incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com is the address. We'll train you and give you the software you need. So if you'd like to become part of the Priority One family, just send us an email. Incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com or check out our website. Now let's check out all the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. I don't know. Then let's check it out. This past week, Star Trek stars old and new-ish set a course 
for Europe. Destination, Birmingham, England, United Kingdom. Destination Star Trek, which is in its sixth iteration, played host to the usual panels. And while no huge news came out of the UK's second largest city, there were some tasty little Trek nugget hors d'oeuvres to dine on. This year, Priority One had boots on the ground in Birmingham, our very own patron turned audio editor, James Golding. James noted that during the Discovery panel, Anthony Rapp made a point to mention that Discovery's second season would feature more science. Wilson Cruz appears to be part of the main cast, and Mary Chifo showed off the recently tweeted Chancellor Laurel photo. The tweet, dated October 21st, said, quote, New Chancellor, who dis? End quote. The photo featured the new Klingon Chancellor in a goldish Klingon dress and flowing locks of Klingon hair. In regards to Mary Chifo's tweet uh, with the picture of her in, you know, of Chancellor Laurel with the hair, one thing that actually stood out to me was her cheek makeup looked very different from season one to that picture that she tweeted. Her cheeks were almost more smooth. And the definition of like what I can only assume are Klingon cheekbones uh, seem to be missing. And I'm wondering if this is either an overall change to the aesthetic of the Klingons, perhaps in response to the fan outcry, or if this is a more character driven decision that possibly the Klingon Empire is more well off now and they're not quite as uh, rigid and focused as they were in season one. Right. Actually, if you go to a September 6th tweet, Mary Chifo does share a picture of Laurel. And you're right. The makeup leads from the ridges on the skull down to her cheekbone and close to the tip of her nose. And I did notice that as well. I thought to myself, oh, look, what hair can do, which is make them seem more Klingon. Klingon, at least in the, the TNG and, and DS9 sense. And I thought it was just the hair. But if you look at older pictures of Laurel, there is definitely a lot more makeup going on and a lot more prosthetic happening. I think now it feels like a progression. Now what we're seeing from Mary Chifo's image seems like a cosmetic progression without exaggerating it because we can do it just to do it. Now that we have the technology, let's put ridges everywhere. And now it seems to honor the Klingons better. This is an evolution of the Klingons. It's not a response to the fans being mad that there was no hair. I don't know if they always intended them to get their hair back, who knows. But I personally feel, well, like you both said, it's more of, this is a progression of the Klingon aesthetic, and I actually kind of welcome it. We talked very early in Discovery about how it's okay that Klingons look different, because Klingons are not a monoculture, and they shouldn't be, and Star Trek has a bad history of presenting entire races of, or species of humanoids as monocultures. So I'm okay with this. Plus, she looks hot. The other thing worth noting is that James, as he was there, said that his opinions of Discovery might have been changed thanks to the panels. Prior to attending Destination Star Trek Birmingham, he was saying how he wasn't really feeling season one. It didn't feel Trek to him. But when he was telling us about his experiences in Priority One chat, he was saying that it kind of gave him hope. It gave him, it gave him something to look forward to. And he feels that they're back on a more familiar track to us older Trekkies. 
Star Trek Discovery's panel wasn't the only event that made waves. The Deep Space Nine documentary, What We Left Behind, made its debut, and though no extensive reviews of the Birmingham showing have been posted, buzz on the floor and around the net was electric. Prior to the premiere, a photo of Captain Esri Dax's new ship, the USS Emmett Till, was unveiled as well. In a post dated October 20th, the DS9 documentary tweeted, quote, We're thrilled to announce the newest starship from designer John Eaves in partnership with Eagle Moss, revealed in the upcoming DS9 documentary, What We Left Behind, welcoming the USS Emmett Till, end quote. Along with the tweet is a 30-second video featuring drawings of the new ship from a couple different angles. For a look at the new ship, check out the link in our show notes. My biggest question from this is they talked about how they came back into the writer's room to basically break the story and write a script for episode one of season eight of Deep Space Nine. And with this news, I'm assuming that that now means that that episode takes place years after the finale of Deep Space Nine, which I think is kind of interesting to do that time jump. So I really can't wait to see this documentary. Typically, documentaries are sort of behind the scenes retrospectives of something. But in this particular one, they're also sort of forging ahead with, well, what would we do next if we had the chance? Being a huge Deep Space Nine fan, I really can't wait to see that. Something else to note and not to forget is that they are still doing a Kickstarter to help turn a lot of Deep Space Nine footage into high definition. If you visit DS9 documentary, you'll see that they're still accepting money to try to digitize and make this all high def, which is great. I think some of those space battles would certainly look beautifully done. I mean, look at how well and how wonderful it was during Battle of the Binary Stars. That was an epic space battle. I'm a fan of the Prometheus. I really am a fan of the Prometheus and its variants in Star Trek Online. It's actually one of the three or four ships that I switch back and forth from. And I've even thought about getting it 3D printed from Star Trek Online. Had I won the lottery, I would have certainly bought the 3D print job of them. I actually don't have anything to add. I think you guys have covered pretty much my sentiments on it. Before I move on, though, I just wanted to make a quick cultural note. Star Trek is known on some occasions for being pointed in the way that their ships are named. And I'm not sure that we've seen the name USS Emmett Till before, but for those of you who are not familiar with who Emmett Till was, he was a 14-year-old African-American boy who was murdered in Mississippi in 1955 after being accused of assaulting a white woman. His mother insisted on an open casket funeral and pictures were taken at the open casket funeral, she was insistent that people were able to see the brutality that had been inflicted upon him having been accused of this crime. It was actually named one of the hundred most influential images of all time. So the naming of this ship is actually kind of poignant and it's kind of an interesting choice for the Deep Space Nine documentary to adopt. And I think it actually carries on a pretty fine tradition of Star Trek using Star Trek lore to make social commentary. Right. I mean, let's not forget that they did several of their own sociopolitical and racially driven episodes shining light to that era uh, far beyond the stars. Arguably one of the best episodes of Deep Space Nine. This makes sense that they would name a ship the Emmett Till. Well, and for me particularly, this spoke to me quite a lot because I kind of have felt a little bit in the era of discovery where we present a lot of socio-political questions and don't answer them. I thought this was a very bold choice by the documentary makers. It's a little hit you on the head in terms of its commentary, and I think it's a bold choice and uh, well done on them. 
Eagle Moss, the company responsible for the beautiful subscription-based Star Trek miniature ship models, is about to be more money right out of our pockets. Why? Well, they also announced that Star Trek Online's USS Enterprise NCC-1701F is on schedule for release. The Enterprise F has an interesting story. Designed by Adam Isle, the ship was the winner of Star Trek Online's Design the Enterprise contest. The contest, which was sanctioned by CBS, took place in 2011, and the ship made its debut in the Stowe-featured episode, Boldly They Rode, in early 2012. Eagle Moss is set to release the Odyssey-class Enterprise, along with the USS Bonaventure, as bonus ships, and, according to their website, will be available on December 24th of 2018. I'm disappointed that it is not an XL model ship. I'm actually not disappointed because I prefer the smaller models for my collection, simply because they're all similar size. And I love this ship. I love all of the Enterprise class of starships, and this one will go very well with that collection. I think he did an amazing job designing it, and I think it fits very nicely after the Sovereign class Enterprise-y. I think it's wonderful that they're doing Star Trek Online ships, honestly, because... Star Trek Online, I always used to say it, when we didn't have any Star Trek, it was the Star Trek that we had. And they have been and always will be just great ship designers. Considering how much content they produce, it's amazing that every ship looks unique and everything else. So I am thrilled that Eagle Moss is starting to produce these ships. I hope it doesn't overlap too much with the 3D printed ones, but I think it's a slightly different offering. It's actually because of Star Trek Online that I could watch battles on Deep Space Nine and identify the ships like, oh, Akira. It's because of Star Trek Online. Well, that brings us to this week's first community question. Are you looking forward to Eagle Moss's new Enterprise F and the USS Emmett Till? And if not, what other ship would you like to see produced by Eagle Moss? And now on to my favorite Star Trek actor, sarcasm, Michael Dorn. You see, because he hasn't been shy about his desire to return to the role of the first Klingon in Starfleet, Worf. He would do anything for Worf, but he won't do that. Well, what's that? Well, I'll tell you. According to Dorn, it's a cameo. The 66-year-old Texas native has logged more hours in Star Trek than any other actor. But if he's going to don the dome again, he wants it to be more than a Mr. Worf, what are you doing here appearance. During a panel at Destination Star Trek, Dorn was joined on stage by fellow TNG alumni Gates McFadden and Marina Sirtis. The trio denied any involvement in the upcoming Picard series, and none were holding their proverbial breath either. The rest of this story is about Dorn wanting to do a Captain Wharf series, which we've said before, but it's not going to happen. I think the biggest news from this story is that all three of them have said and suggested pretty adamantly that they haven't been approached for this new Picard series, which is sad. Well, I think the reason they haven't been approached is because the writer's room has actually only been in existence for, what, four or five weeks now? They probably have the season mapped out, but they don't have any of the scripts written. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see some cameos, but I think they're telling the truth in saying that they haven't been approached. But, I mean, they all had dinner together one night with Patrick Stewart, and I wouldn't be surprised if he said, oh yeah, we'll definitely get you in the show. 
First of all, that is an awesome Patrick Stewart impression. I would be, honestly, I would be completely shocked and surprised if nobody ever made a cameo because every Star Trek series ever has cameos. It's like a thing that Star Trek does. I think it's almost like a little gotcha when people ask Michael Dorn, like, oh, are you going to be in the new Star Trek? Because he's been talking about Worf forever. And I think people like to hear him say, yeah, I'd totally do it again. <laughs> but let's be honest, what, what actor wouldn't? It's not just he's saying it because he wants to give the fan service, but he'll go on stage and flat out say, yeah, I'll do it again. I'd love the paycheck. Like, it's not even about the fans. And that's that's what irks me about his presence at the cons. Now, that aside, you're right. We should most certainly have cameos from TNG. And like you pointed out already, we've seen them before, but I don't think it should be a traditional cameo in so far as hi, bye. Like Doran described, I will agree with him in that, that it shouldn't be a, oh, hi, welcome, welcome to the ship. Bye. Or like in the latest Ghostbusters, right? Where the original actors literally showed up for three seconds. They should be given a little bit of a story, even if it's for two episodes, a two episode arc or whatnot. I think they need to be given a little bit of dedicated screen time because they were with Captain Picard for over over seven years, so I'd be disappointed. And I've said this in the past, any good television show and any good television writers will bring in guest stars or characters that affect the main character in some way. And actually, the one writer that I heard talk about that the most was Michael Piller when he talked about coming in in season three of TNG and how the whole attitude changed about guest stars and bringing them in and having them affect the main characters. I think there's an opportunity to use TNG actors to come in and tell great stories that affect Captain Picard or affect other main characters on the show because we already have a history with these characters and so they don't have to reintroduce them. I mean, don't forget that he technically marries Beverly. Yeah. That's canon. Also, don't forget that cameo episodes, I'm thinking back to TNG in particular, because that's the one I'm most familiar with. Cameo episodes are great ratings drivers. And Unification 1 and 2 with Spock in it oh, yeah. was like the highest rated Star Trek episode or pair of episodes like ever. So, you know, a good cameo well done is really, really good for Star Trek. I personally think we'll see them. They will deny it until the day it gets announced officially by CBS. And it may not be all of them. I would think, personally, the one that matters most, maybe the two that matter most, would be Riker and Beverly. In terms of their relationships and their bonding, Riker is married to Deanna, so of course you have to come on, but I don't want to see Worf. Eh. I cannot see Riker coming back. Jonathan Frakes is way too different from what Riker was. He's such a different personality. Like, I cannot even imagine Jonathan Frakes coming on as an actor playing Riker. I'll tell you what, though. The last images of Jonathan Frakes on set of Discovery, he's got the hat and he's got the trim gray beard. He looked more Riker in those pictures than I've seen him look in years. I would not be surprised if he's getting in Riker shape again. And that brings us to this week's second community question. What Star Trek actor would you like to see have a cameo in the new Picard series? This just into the Priority One newsroom. CBS has just announced a new Star Trek animated series titled Star Trek Lower Decks. An animated series from Emmy Award winner Mike McMahon. The show has already been contracted for two seasons. More information as it becomes available. 
That's right, Captains. On October 25th, Star Trek.com broke the news that CBS All Access will also be home to Star Trek Lower Decks. Produced by CBS iAnimation Productions, Secret Hideout, and Roddenberry Entertainment. The premise will, according to the announcement, quote, follow the support crew serving on one of Starfleet's least important ships, end quote. So, who is Mike McMahon? Well, he's best known for his work on the critically acclaimed and fan-favorite series Rick and Morty. But way back when, in 2014, he also made headlines when he created the parody Twitter account TNG Season 8, which gave us 140 characters of comedic gold with silly plots aboard the Enterprise during a fake eighth season of TNG. Plots like, quote, Wesley's dino experiment mistakenly mixes with Riker's beard DNA, creating the sexy but dangerous Velociriker. Troy's mom tries to marry it, end quote. The success of the account ended up landing him a publishing deal with Simon & Schuster for the book titled Star Trek The Next Generation Warped, an engaging guide to the never-aired eighth season. In a statement in the release, McMahon said, quote, As a lifelong Trekkie, it's a surreal and wonderful dream come true to be a part of this new era of Star Trek. While Star Trek Lower Decks is a half-hour animated show at its core, it's undeniably Trek. And I promise not to add an episode at the very end that reveals the whole thing took place in a training program. End quote. Okay, let me let me first start with the things that concern me about this. Okay. Which is, here's CBS again, mm -hmm. using Star Trek to launch something new. And they're launching the CBS iAnimation Productions, right? This is, this is their first endeavor into in-house producing an animated series. Yeah. All I can think about is Warner Brothers and their attempt at getting into the video game industry, the interactive video game industry. And I think of I think of the Matrix Online drink <laughs> where Monolith was the developer of the original game, then got bought out by Warner Brothers Interactive, and then Warner Brothers Interactive went defunct I I, I want to say in under five years. Like it barely got its foot off the ground. Mm -hmm. So I'm concerned that again they're using the Star Trek franchise to try to do something. When time and again, as negative as this sounds, Star Trek has not always been able to push them in the direction where they want to be. Hmm. Let's think of UPN, for instance. What happened to UPN? And UPN was off the back of Voyager and then later Enterprise. I, I wish they would stop trying to reinvent the wheel and, and stop trying to play catch up to other major production houses and, and already existing phenomenal production houses. Yeah, I think you need to relax. All right. <laughs> no, uh, the, the, reason, the reason I'm gonna say that is because um, I don't care if, first of all, it's, it's, they've already confirmed it's gonna be a two season deal. So straight away, we're going to have two seasons of it. Second of all, um, it doesn't really matter if it's a new animation production arm. Um, the bar for what qualifies as good enough animation is pretty low. If the if the writing is good, and I can tell you that Mike McMahon is a really good writer, then they'll be fine. It'll be great stories. It will be absolutely solid. I really don't think you have anything to worry about. This is actually the most solid news that's come out of this whole five-year Alex Kurtzman deal that I've heard so far. Yes. Now, I gave my negative. I do want to just give my positive for a second. One, as you said, Kenna, it, McMahon is a phenomenal writer. I mean, he mm -hmm. was making headlines with Star Trek when he wasn't even working for them and ended up getting a publishing deal. And that Twitter account was freaking hilarious. 
and I have the book. It's freaking hilarious. Yeah, and I, I didn't even get the book, and I want, and I, I should pick it up actually. And second of all, he writes for Rick and Morty, which is which is arguably one of the best adult cartoons currently in production. Oh, we know you love Rick and Morty. I love Rick and Morty. I love, and anybody who's anybody <laughs> loves love Rick it. and Morty. <clears throat> Anthony. So, so I'm not. I no. In, in terms of the story and what to expect from a, a comedy animated series, no, no, no. You're. I, I'm not. A, no. I'm. I'm happy that they hired him. I'm happy that they brought him on board. This is great. Yeah. That's. It's just really exciting. But mind you, two seasons. Could, that, you know, we're coming from a, an industry now that one season is ten episodes. Two seasons is great, though. Two seasons is great is great of something like this that's a little bit out of left field. This is the first real departure into a like a cinematic universe. I mean, I know we've talked about the Picard series, but that's going to be you know serious adult what Star Trek has always been. This is going like way out on the limb, and it's it two seasons commitment is a great start. So okay, I'm going to split the difference. <laughs> oh, here it comes. <laughs> first off. <laughs> I'm I'm okay with CBS using Star Trek to launch new things, and I'll tell you why. Because they're, when you start off a new endeavor like that, you inevitably have to push more money into it to get it off the ground. And I think that's one of the reasons why this show has already been committed to two seasons uh, worth. Because they know they need to pump a lot of money into the studio to get it off the ground. And I think that's a good thing, because... When problems arise, and you know they will, they're in a position where they're just going to say, well, this is the first time going, so let's just throw more money at it. Now, throwing more money at a project isn't always a great thing, but I think in this case, I'm okay with that. As far as Mike McMahon goes, his Twitter account was hysterical. Um, I'm very glad that he knows Star Trek, and you can tell by everything he says and by that Twitter account alone. I'm not the biggest Rick and Morty fan. In fact, I'm not a fan at all. In fact, I've never seen anything past the second episode. Well, that's your problem right there. However, I'm actually going to take a different route than what Kenneth said. I'm actually very concerned about this. A couple of years ago, DC tried to do a similar thing. And, and in fact, Marvel even had plans for a show called Damage Control that was about the nobodies of S.H.I.E.L.D. that cleaned up after the superheroes. DC actually got a show on the air on NBC called Powerless, which was literally about an insurance company run by Bruce Wayne's cousin and... I loved the show, but it was not that great. So my concern is is that now they want to apply this thinking to Star Trek. No, nope. and 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 I'm call let it you finish and, <laughs> and call it lower decks of all things, which is one of the greatest TNG episodes of all time. And to take what should be possibly a young adult comedy drama and make it just a comedy cartoon? I don't like this. This is the first idea that I've heard from them that I don't like. See, Anthony, I understand what's going on right now, and that is that you're scared, and I understand that. I'm here with you on this journey. No, you you really, again, you have nothing to be frightened of. This is a completely different situation. You're not talking about some random story about people in an office. Also, you're not talking about DC <laughs> Which sucks. We'll come on Whoa, to that DC in version of After DC movies have a problem, but DC on television has not been having a problem recently. Anyway, we're just going to skip that little bit. Um, this is a, a, t- a totally different experience. Plus, we've already had a proof of concept, and that proof of concept is 
the Orville. Now, I hate to bring the Orville into this. It's a clear case that, I mean, Star Trek fans like a little bit of comedy. We saw that over and over again in TNG. And the Orville is a great piece of Star Trek that is a comedy. And so the, the audience is there for it. I think the concept is great. Lower Decks is a great episode of TNG. I think there's lots for viewers to associate with because everybody wants to be in Starfleet. I think it's going to be great. I I, I think it's hard to mess up. I think the concern and the fear that purists are going to have is that the animated series in its original incarnation, right, the TOS animated series, wasn't a comedy. It was... Correct. This was meant to be an ongoing adventure aboard the Enterprise So here we are presented with a very obscure and often exaggerated form of humor from a writer who has done that and has shown it on on Twitter and then again on Rick and Morty that Mm -hmm. often puts people off. But if if you stick with it, and this is where Rick and Morty comes in, if you stick with it, Rick and Morty poses some remarkably deep questions about who we are in the universe, what are we meant to do, all through... Rick and Morty. Is there a non-burping version of the show I can watch? Yeah, there, no, okay. there, but there are episodes where he doesn't burp. You just got to get through the first few things. <laughs> and now that he's going to have the reins on an animated Star Trek series, yeah. I, I, man, I think it's going to put give Orville a run for its money. Just let can we just let Orville be Orville and Star Trek be Star Trek? No, you can can't. We just not, can we do that? No, you no, can't because can't. Or, cause the Orville is really good Star Trek. The Orville right. is really good Orville. No. Yes, that, and it's also really good Star Trek. You, you can't, you really can't deny that. In the same way that Galaxy Quest right, is really exactly, good Star Trek. Exactly. So when you get this formula of this, um, uh, a, a real, not reverence, but respect mm-hmm. for Star Trek and the Star Trek genre, because it really is almost in its own genre. But when you combine that with really good comedic writing, you get some really good stuff because Star Trek, when you take it to the extreme, is absurd. And right. when you write it with a comedic bent, it, it's good, it's great. And so, and this is the first time we're gonna get comedy Star Trek. I think, personally, it's going to be great. A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down, right? The Orville has some great themes, but is it, its backbone is Star Trek. I think this is also a reaction to the Orville and CBS mm-hmm. going, wow, the Orville's actually competing with us pretty well. We should do something of our own that, that is a, a, a comedy-like th- series. Whether or not it will work within the actual Star Trek universe, we have yet to see, we'll have yet to see. The Orville is not Star Trek, right? Anthony's correct. It's not it's not part of Star Trek canon. It's not, you know, it doesn't dictate what happens to Picard or Riker. It's its own thing. But just a funny version of Star Trek through a through a comedic lens. Yeah. The other question is, is this show going to be part of the canon? And I'm assuming it will be, because it it appears as though Alex Kurtzman is is pushing for this unified canon, which I'm great. I'm I love I love connecting everything. Star Trek did it in the '90s, and Marvel is doing it today. Mm-hmm. And I I just worry that it's gonna go too far. For the first time, I'm worried that a that a Star Trek show will go someplace Star Trek shouldn't. 
I'm also okay with them experimenting because, you know, we had that long period of time where there was no Star Trek and it was always, what's going to be the perfect Star Trek? Because it has to be a series. It's going to knock it out of the park and it has to be the flagship and it has to be this big deal. And remember how much scrutiny Discovery had when it was announced and, you know, details came out. I'm kind of warming to this idea that they're throwing everything at at the wall and seeing what sticks. I'm kind of I'm kind of into it. I'm very into it. My, my I think my, I think what my real issue is that it's animated and that and that when you do a live action series, you can keep you you have to keep things grounded to a point because there's certain things you can't do in live action that you very easily can do in animation. And so I'm hoping this is more like a Scrubs and less like, you know, a Cartoon Network After Hours or Adult Swim whatever. And that leads us to our next community question for Trek It Out. What are your thoughts about this new animated series coming to you through CBS All Access? Are you scared? Are you cautiously optimistic? Or are you excited? Let us know in the comments section for this episode on Priority1Podcast.com forward slash PO387 or just reply to our social media posts on Facebook or Twitter. Well, that's it for this week's Star Trek news. Now let's welcome Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al Captain Gecko Rivera. Security clearance level three or above is required to access files. This is Captain Benjamin Sisko. Authorization Sisko Alpha One Alpha. Logs accessed. And captains, we are honored to be joined this episode by Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al Captain Gecko Rivera. Al, thanks so much for stopping by again. It's been uh, it's been a little while since we've had a chance to talk. I think Vegas. Uh, was it? Yeah, I guess it was Vegas. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's always great to be on. I'm uh, uh, I'm I'm always available whenever you need me. Thank you. Thank you so much. There's a lot that has been going on in Star Trek Online, and boy, have I been playing so much lately. It's so much fun. I saw you were burning the midnight oil. I am, I am, I am. Good, good. Then I guess it's working. It is. So with Age of Discovery launching, the players have been excited about some of these new updates and changes as as well as the new content. What aspect of the new release were you most excited to see the players' reactions to? Well, I was very, very pleased to see players' reactions to uh, to Mary Wiseman's VO, who, you know, they, everyone said it, and I agree, that how... What an amazing job she did, and it was really amazing to be sitting in the recording studio listening to her. You know, our writer did a great job, and Paul Reed did an amazing job capturing her, you know, the way she talks. I read it, and you just like, oh, that sounds like something she would say. And then when she says it, the way she says it is just just so, you, you, you can't even predict it, right? It's like, right. wow, I can't believe how she nailed that and how she, she ad-libbed a lot and added a lot of different inflections in there. And so... Um, and I think players really, really appreciated that and loved that. That was just more personal and emotional as far as enjoying that work and enjoying people enjoying that. But from a more developer sense, I'm really pleased with the, the positive reactions that random TFOs have been getting and how sticky and attractive and how much it's kind of changed the way people play, which is something we were hoping and, and something we've talked about here on the show before is about how we wanted to improve in, in the engagement of, uh, of TFOs. And so I'm um, very pleased the way that turned out. And we've got more coming for that. 
Uh, speaking of the random task force operations system, this seems to have really brought a lot of players back into the game. I mean, Elijah can certainly attest to that. It's you know Woo-hoo. he's been he's been hammering them out constantly, trying to even even after we finish recording, he's like, hey guys, you want to go you want to go run some TFOs with me? Come on, come on. From your statistics, how has the response been from the players? I don't have enough statistical data yet. I, I don't have enough to comment on that. I only have anecdotal data, and 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 that is based on uh, social media and forum uh, feedback as well as uh, just doing it myself and seeing how uh, how many people are engaged and how fast that TFOs are are spooling up right that just played a bit yesterday and it was just and I played you know four or five things that I hadn't played in years and that's exactly what we wanted and I think that's part of the fun because there's there's so much in there that there's so many fun things in there that people just haven't seen because people wouldn't you know there was just too much to choose from so the player base just went to the standard three or five that they would just always play or whatever is for the current reputation now everything is available and so there's so much new stuff to play I mean, it's old stuff, but now it's it's like new again. Yeah. And, and I'll admit, I mean, I played more yesterday than I played in a very long time. It's just it's you just because before I was playing the same stuff that everyone else would play because that was that's what, what everyone was playing. And now I'm getting to see stuff that um, I was just, wow, I remember making that. I was that I'm really proud of that. I'm glad to see that active again. So bringing a lot of what is like new content. There's a lot of new different things to do and so it feels less repetitive and I'm really loving that and I think people are too. You know, I think that my personal experience has been that, you know, I've, I've always said that I'm a casual gamer. So when I, the time that I have to log in, I want to feel as if though I've accomplished something. And as reputations had been released, you know, you have a few weeks, maybe a month or or two of incredible attention to those cues because they're the ones that reward for that new reputation. It's the new hotness. And as, you know, we've talked about before, those faded away. But now, even without the tier six upgrade to the reputation system, I'm having a great time logging in, jumping in a random queue, playing something that I've never played before, right? There are several already that I'm like, I've never played this before, which has proven to be challenging. But even if I don't succeed in in the way I would a, a, a conduit or something a little more familiar, the rewards that are being given for those randoms are pretty handsome. I'm playing them in advanced, but I feel like I'm accomplishing something when I log into the game. Whereas before it was, okay, does anybody want to do this queue with me? Cause I have to do the reputation system and no, we haven't, we, we're not doing that one anymore. It's not the, it's not the new hotness. Now I feel like I can actually get something done in the short amount of time that I, that I have to play the game, which is fantastic. And like you said, it's, it may be old content, but it feels new and I'm so excited. You know, I, I took advantage of the upgrade weekend and I, I set up all my new equipment on my ships and it, it was just, I haven't been excited like this in quite a while for, for standard mission content, right? Because every time you guys release a featured episode, that's great. It's, it's the new episode of Star Trek that I want to play, but this has just been fantastic. This has just been great. And I, I I've, I've taken to it for sure. Thank you for saying that. I, I appreciate that. That makes me feel good. And I, I, you know, I feel the same way. I don't have all of my tiers at tier five, certainly none of them at tier six at this point. And so, yeah, everything that I played, I was, I'm making progress. And, and, you know, I know a lot of people already, you know, had everything at tier five, but really that's honestly a, a minority of the game of the players. Most players do not have everything at tier five. And so this is good for everybody. One other thing is uh, something that Kenna had said during our recording on Tuesday, we were, I was telling her how 
I was playing ISA in, during a random and nobody knew what they were doing. And I mean, this was Conduit. Conduit is generally the, the, the mission used to test for DPS, right? Everybody does Conduit. Everybody, it, it would, You would think that by now everybody knew how to play Conduit. And yet, everybody was flying all over the place. There was no way to bring down the Transformers. Like It was interesting to see. And Kenneth made the point that that's good. Because that means that there are new players or old players that haven't come back and played it that are unfamiliar with this mission. It's, it's fantastic. I think that it's very easy. And we talk about this in politics. It, it's very easy to be in a you know uh, an echo chamber when you're playing any MMO. And everyone plays Infected Space or whatever it is. And everyone does it this way and everyone does that. But no, that's just a very small segment of population who runs around in echo chambers doing the same thing. There's a lot of players who don't know a lot of the game. And they're not in the know that this is the thing to do, this is the most efficient, or this is this is the best gear, or this is whatever. They're playing random stuff. Maybe they were picking, oh, this is, you know, I want to do this reputation or I want to play this Q, this TFO, and it doesn't work, and so they don't know what's popular. How would anyone know? If you just came into the game and didn't know, if you just and, and ever listened to a podcast, never talked to the community, which most of our players, that's what they are. Now they're getting to see that, and that's great, right? I, I think it's it's important to realize that not everybody plays like the vocal minority plays. And, and one thing that I've noticed as well, and I'm assuming this, we're not really talking about it because it's not as exciting as the random part of it, but if you want to play a specific uh, TFO, this system also helps fill in the missing players when you want to queue up for a specific one, right? Yes. Going into the system cold, it will just randomly pick a TFO for, it'll randomly pick one and then just put the next five people into it. That's, that's what it. If, however, someone goes into the lists and pick something that they want to play, okay? I said, I want to play uh, Azura Nebula and clicks on that. The next four players that click random will go into Azura Nebula, ensuring that that your that if someone wants to play something obscure, uh, something that they like, it will get filled, so no one has to wait, and that queues up. So the next person who clicks on something, then that, then the next four people go into that one. Now those people who selected that don't get the random TFO bonus because they didn't get something random; they got exactly what they wanted. So when you choose random, you give up choice for better rewards. So this is why you will sometimes play the same TFO uh, multiple times in a session, or maybe even multiple times in a row, because maybe a couple people have queued that up and you ended up back in there. Starbase one. We, we, yeah, Starbase one, because it's new, is you'll you'll see a lot of Starbase ones. We actually want to add some technology so that way if you've played a particular TFO, you won't get thrown into another one in succession. Um, you might get one, you might interlace it every other one, but the next one will not be the same one twice. So we're going to add some text so at least it, so it mixes it, so it mixes it up a little bit. So that's to come. That's why sometimes it feels like some TFOs are less random than others. Um, it is because you are, that is what people want to play. And so if that's what people want to play, that's basically what the system is like. Whoever wants to play something, we will make sure you will be able to play it. That is what the system is doing. And if no one wants to pay anything in particular, then something random 
will be chosen for everybody. So I'm curious as to why Elise difficulty wasn't added to the random tier 4 system. So we might add Elite as an option. We didn't want to do it at first because the more... This is the same reason why we don't have a separation between ground and space because the more we add different categories for people to select into, the less random it is, the more we're separating our player base. And I'm a little worrisome about making an Elite category and whether or not it not populating or it drawing away from the population of advance. We might add it in general, players that are playing elite uh, are usually pretty in the know and pretty self-organized and can probably generate their, their their own TFOs on their own without having to rely on on others. There's not that many elite TFOs out there. It's not a diluted pool. Elite is also something that you don't often want to random into. You probably want to coordinate uh, often maybe with the fleet or with friends so that way you know what you're doing. Hugs for elites can happen and certain they certainly do, but you're probably are familiar with some of the people who are in them in there. And if they were if it was random, you probably would reduce the amount of success you have. Remember, elites can fail. So, uh, unlike unlike basic and advanced. I'm curious if uh, you're aware of a potential issue that is probably going to raise its head in a couple of months, and that is because elite isn't included in the random TFOs, the majority of the player base are going to be playing normal and advanced. And as you know yourself, you can only get salvage tech from doing elite TFOs. And because there isn't going to be as many players playing elites, there's going to be a shortage of that on the market, probably in the next couple of months or so. I think we can take a look at that. I don't know if really the amount of people... I mean, I, 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 can't, I can't predict whether, whether that's going to be true or not. I don't know if people who were playing elite are no longer playing elite because of this. Just because more people are playing basic and advanced doesn't mean necessarily that less people are playing elite. Right? The people who want to play elite will play elite. Now, maybe that's true, and maybe that's a problem. I don't know if that's a bad problem, but uh, certainly, whenever there's a problem in the academy, you know, if we see that, we'll, you know, we can react to that and, and make an adjustment. I, I can't predict what that change might be. Whether that means adding elites to randoms, or whether that means adding salvage to advance. I think it's way too early to be worried about that. But if no one's playing elite now, I mean, we, you know, we added um, special tokens from elites and then we added them to advance and so because for similar reasons you know for 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 getting your uh, your rep gear to spin off salvage using the word salvage within the game i noticed that so now everybody's grinding up their reputation system to tier 6 and every time you trigger a daily you get a box with an item in it has there been any thought to allowing players to salvage those reputation items that they aren't using because right now i'm essentially just selling them back for ec i, I hadn't necessarily given it any uh, any thought hadn't certainly considered that. God, I'm trying to remember what was the origin of giving away those boxes. There was some, we used to do something different. We used to give you, it used to be in the store as you would level up, you'd have more things. And so then we decided we wanted to, uh, oh, I remember because when you did it, when you kicked off a project, you didn't get anything until the next day. So there was no gratification from doing that. So instead we gave you a, a widget. Here's a thing. Um, so that way you got something for starting that project. I honestly don't, couldn't tell you why they are not salvageable. Maybe it's too exploitable. I don't know. I'll actually have to, it's more of a question for Jeremy who kind of manages those kind of economies. But it's an interesting thought. Uh, it's certainly good to add more value to those projects. But I will tell you this though, that that a lot of um, 
reputations in general is is due for an overhaul. You saw us add some things like having to do a, a sponsorship token that automatically sponsors your other characters now, right? Instead of having to do a sp send, sending sponsor tokens, right? So we got some better tech to make that smoother and faster. We generally want to make the entire reputation system a lot smoother and faster and a lot easier to understand. I think it's a little overwhelming, especially for a new player. At first, when there was one or two or three reputations and just a few projects, it was, oh, okay, I understand this. And now it's like, wow, this is pretty daunting. And it's, it's due for an overhaul. So I don't know if we will add salvage to those items or if they'll just kind of go away as part of the new the way the way that things get overhauled it's uh there's a there's there's a lot that will be happening so um but it's fair to bring up and something to consider so uh with any new release there's bound to be some bugs that need squashing it seems to the players that this release had more bugs than other recent releases would you agree with that and could it be a result of the major system changes that came with this release we had some very visible bugs i wouldn't necessarily say that there was more in number we actually in number actually had a lot less than normal it was actually fairly minimal but the couple that we had were pretty were, were, were unfortunate i know the one that you had talked uh, had experienced elijah was something that was one of those bugs that you can't really duplicate here in-house it's something that only that it's a part it's called a partition bug and that means that if multiple people are doing the same step on uh, on the same server that one person does it and takes away the credit from the other person because tutorials are special and they're hard and they're complicated and so you couldn't progress because somebody else did you basically gave your progression to someone else when you opened that door it had nothing to do with you moving or wiggling when you're weld unwelding that door you open the door and someone else got credit for it that is something that is almost impossible for us to reproduce locally without having hundreds of qa testers playing it at the same time so we hope to kind of sort those out on triple uh, but sometimes those things uh, slip, uh, sneak through and then there's and then there's some problems occur um, so we've had a couple of very visible bugs that i'm not very happy about you know age of discovery was something that we took on very aggressively coming right off of X4, right? And there was a, a lot to be done to make an Age of Discovery. All of that art, all of, all of that whole new starting experience again is, uh, is something that we, we generally reserve for a six to eight month development process and we did the whole thing in three months so it was uh so i mean we did it just like we would for any other season right but we just squeezed a lot in so it was aggressive but it was something we were we were very excited about and very dedicated to and the timing was the timing was perfect we had you know we we it was there was an opportunity here that we couldn't pass up that's the nature of mmos it's unfortunate sometimes it happens and we'll endeavor to always do better but um again i don't think there was a large number of bugs, but there was about two or three that were really that were really nasty. That um, um, one of which is still not entirely fixed, and we but we keep getting uh, more and more data on, and that's the the where Starbase One. Sometimes the um, there'll be no Klingons will show up. I don't know if you've seen that if you're playing Starbase One. I've heard of I've heard of that issue. I have not experienced it myself. Yeah, and so it's it's uh, it's got, it actually has nothing to do with Starbase One. It's actually a, a it seems to be a, 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 a core technology thing that broke somewhere, and it's very very rare to come up. But uh, I've seen it. You'll just be playing Starbase One, and there's no Klingon ships will show up. It'll, they'll eventually it'll eventually end, but you sit around waiting for nothing, and nothing's happening. One that's been tricky to to track down, but we're. I think we uh, were much closer today. Well, regardless of the of the issues that the releases had, I, I think we can all say that the aesthetics 
brought with the Age of Discovery content and the story content itself has been a lot of fun. I know I'm a huge fan of of the inner the new interface and just the sound effects. And my favorite thing is the shield effect when you're getting hit. Yeah, little explosions. I just I, I just love that so much. Yeah, the little the little like pops on the shields is just really good, and the beam in effect has all been just spot on. Yeah, I mean, uh, something like this was a huge undertaking for the art team, both the environment artists, the character artists, the effects artists, Thomas uh, Ships and UI, because we basically had to build an entire new universe in a couple months. So they did a tremendous job. They probably worked the hardest of everyone uh, trying to, to get that as a team, to get that look in. And, you know, the artists, they keep, they keep upping their game, right? Like, I remember when we showed the scenes of... Uh, of the model of discovery to the to both Rekha Sharma and Mary Wiseman, they weren't sure which was the from the show and which was from the game. I mean, the the level of detail there is is amazing. So pretty proud of that. Definitely very immersive. It's very beautiful. That was that was expensive to do, but now we have a good amount of that, a good library of that. We'll be adding. We got a lot more to come, and as season, Discovery season two comes out, we'll have a lot of other things to catch up on as well. We've almost got uh, almost got every every single. They're not all out. I don't think live yet, but we've almost got every Discovery Discovery ship done on the Fed side. Probably more than more than half on the Klingon side over here. Well, speaking of season two of Discovery, uh, this past week you guys released uh, an Age of Discovery upcoming content roadmap, and this seems like a major shift in the way new content and events will be announced. So, with Age of Discovery and its expansion on Star Trek on, in Star Trek Online being released in chunks over time, is there something special for Age of Discovery, or can players expect this kind of roadmap for future content? I couldn't tell you as far as like whether or not the marketing team will choose to continue to do a roadmap going forward. That's entirely a perfect world decision about how they how they want to announce things. And um, you know, we just tell them what we're doing, and they, along with Mike and, and Mark, marketing team, kind of puts that together. Um, I'm happy that we're doing that. I'm very excited about that. We can that we can share that roadmap. I think it's very um, it's a nice tease. It's nice it's nice to see that you know for people to see what we're doing that we have plans really going far ahead it's not necessarily does it have something to do with the age of discovery i i don't know if that was the reason what motivated them to do that but as far as i can tell we'll be supporting that for the foreseeable future and continuing to update that we actually have more plans further than what we released in the roadmap but the further out as we've talked the further out you go the more likely those things are subject to change based on anything that might happen either internally or externally I'm glad. I'm glad we're doing it. I'm glad we're doing it. I'm glad we're sharing that. And uh, I hope that it's exciting people. Cryptic, myself, and, and, and Andre, and, and Mike, and Bill, our, our art director, meet with Perfect World every, every Thursday. Today, as a matter of fact, at, uh, at 2 o'clock. And we talk about all kinds of, uh, all kinds of promotions and opportunities, what, we're, how, what, we, what kind of bundles we might sell, and what kind of... Like, for instance, if, if, every, if anyone has realized it, we actually have a Star Trek Online commercial on CBS right now. You see it on YouTube yeah, and on CBS All Access. So it's just, I actually loaded up Zeph Films, one of Zeph Films' uh, videos, and our Star Trek Online commercial popped up on YouTube. It says, oh, wow, it's awesome. It's on there. And if you have the $5 subscription on CBS All Access, if you play anything on Discovery, you will get our commercial. But of course, if you pay $9 to skip the commercial, you won't see you know <laughs> you won't see the commercial if you pay more money for it. So yeah, so that was something that we worked with them on, and that was that was... I'm really excited about that. And the other thing that 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 uh, that I like about the roadmap is that you know it shows that every month we're doing something, right? We have changed a little bit of our strategy and trying to make sure that something really big and interesting 
will be happening every month in Star Trek Online. It's in, it seems to me that CBS is really stepping up their promotional efforts for Star Trek across the board. Are you seeing the benefits of this for Star Trek Online? And is any of their involvement helping to promote this? And I want to add to that, too. You know, one thing we, we discussed with Age of Discovery was, was it coincidental that Age of Discovery also landed close to the launch of the Short Treks? It's not coincidental. That's it's a little it's opportunistic, I would say, um, as opposed to coincidental. You know, we did the same thing. We launched the season right when J- the last J.J. Abrams movie came out. Right. We try to, you know, our anniversary is coincidentally going to be coming out when some other stuff for Discovery, you know, will probably be coming out. Right. You are seeing the benefits of CBS taking a more holistic approach to all of their products, including Star Trek Online. I don't think necessarily this roadmap has anything to do with that, but the fact that you're seeing stuff like us working with Mike Johnson and IDW Comics with Ju'ula and bringing that forward. The fact that uh, we were able to negotiate a commercial with them. The fact that Eagle Moss is doing a Star Trek online ship, right? They debuted. You're going to see a lot more of that kind of cross promotion, cross branding. A lot of that is Alex Kurtzman. He's, and he deserves a lot of credit for that, that he wants to kind of see all of Star Trek kind of more integrated with each other and supporting each other. It's a huge IP. There's huge opportunities there. And that just kind of makes us more canon, right? It makes us more part of that universe. We get a lot of the assets from CBS. Uh, we, we share a lot of our stories with them. Uh, we recently sent them a big story doc and an asset doc to CBS for the writers and, and, and producers of, of Discovery and Star Trek writers to review to see so they understand what we're doing. When we recorded Mary Wiseman, uh, yeah, I originally set things up with her manager, but it was the casting director at Discovery. Mary Wiseman was filming, and I'm working with her casting director to figure out where I should pick her up with the car and where where we should what time should we record and where, where do we need to bring her back? So I'm working directly with them. That's crazy. I've never done that before. I'm working to, directly with the casting director on the show while she is filming to figure out where I can, you know, what does Mary need so that way we can get this recording done. They called me. That's weird. And so, but that's great. So we're real. it's so much more integrated now and it's just, and this is just the start. So it's, it's super exciting. Star Trek Online is a nine-year-old MMO. What is on the roadmap or what is the vision, you know, in terms of keeping up with the latest technologies, keeping up with the latest engines and and being ahead of the game in the MMO industry with Star Trek being now in the spotlight again? That is a very good question. And it's a hard one to solve for an MMO. MMOs can last a couple of years and, and fizzle and some will last decades. You know, we're coming up on 10 years and... We just had, I think, well, I won't say, but we had a very, very big, big turnout for for Age of Discovery. It was it was phenomenal what what we were able to do for a product that's eight years old, and it's like, wow, that's you know, it's it's like it's third month being live, and it's still it's still that strong. I think that technology-wise, MMOs in general are have invested their technology in one in, in a different place than in others. Just the fact that they exist in, in, at all is in many ways more sophisticated than most contemporary games that come out. But usually where people think about this is in visuals and whether or not it holds up visually. Um, and there's other things too. I mean, MMOs aren't as fast twitchy as first person shooters. They just never will be because of 
physics and the speed of light because we you have to send the packet to the server and then back to the client to verify that as you could instead of something that is just on your home pc or, or console so there is always going to be a delay that's until we have quantum computing that's just what it will be i think for instance if you play age of discovery right now and play through the tutorial and the first two episodes and fight those klingons and then the first thing you go is you go to the uh the stranded in space and you see those nine-year-old Klingons, you can see, wow, that's the nine-year-old asset. <laughs> you know, you can see the difference in, in fidelity than what we had before. Um, and, and we're very much aware of that, right? Which is one of the reasons we also culled a lot of content because you know, this is just too old and it's just not, you know, we got rid of a lot of stuff that was just too dated at this point that we didn't want new players coming and seeing something so high fidelity as, uh, as Age of Discovery and then going into something that was really, really, really old. And there's still some old, there's still old stuff you're going to get into, but we had, we, we kept what we thought was important um, and, and got rid of things that were just, you know, it's just too dated. And we've done that before. We've condensed stuff before and we've remastered content before. And that's basically what we can do. The stuff that we got rid of and even the stuff that we kept, we're, we want to, we want to remaster. We want to remaster it and make it better again. We want to change the human models and the Klingon models and the ships and the environments. It just takes time. It also means that we're talking, we're looking at the schedules like, hmm, can we dedicate a certain amount of time every sprint to just update old stuff? It looks like we can, and so we're trying, we're, we're trying to focus on doing that. It also sometimes means that we'll get less stuff in a particular update. So that just takes a lot of clever, clever production. Technology-wise, yes, our engine is 10 years old, but it's not the same engine it was 10 years ago. Now that we're working on Magic the Gathering, all the technology that Magic the Gathering adds to their engine eventually trickles down to us. Um, how can Some of that we'll be able to use, some of it we just won't be able to use, but some of it we will be able to use. Uh, you know, uh, Neverwinter benefited from some of our technology that we got, so the technology does get better. But I think the biggest thing is, is art, and you know, we did an art overhaul uh, a lighting pass and an art overhaul when we launched the console and it brought it brought the quality up and you know we just need to keep doing that it is it is a challenge to do because you you're constantly you know in five in five years from now the stuff we did a couple of years ago is going to look dated just will but i i think that mmo users as long as it i don't think that the fidelity of art or the technology makes a game great. I think you can play Minecraft or whatever low fidelity game and it still can be just as fun if not more fun as the most high production value product. So it's as long as we deliver good story, as long as we deliver good content, as long as we give you a good war a good world to live in, I don't think that's really something that we worry about too much. What we worry about is giving you a good product. And, and make, it, make sure we have good stories. And um, I think when you come to an MMO, you understand what type of game you're playing. If you're, you're playing a cell phone game, you understand what type of game you're playing. It doesn't mean it's less fun. It's just, this is, this is what it is. And you know what? Look at that trailer that we made for, for Age of Discovery. That trailer is in-game assets. I look at that trailer and I said, did you steal that from Battle of Binary Stars from the episode? It says, no, they, that's our assets in the game. So I think it still holds up really, really well. I was blown away with, with that trailer. Obviously we changed the camera angles and the cuts and stuff, but that's not fake. That's our game. That's as good as, as a lot of things that's out there right now. So I'm not too worried about it. 
Cool. And I mean, it's not, again, it's not commentary on the game as itself it is right now. No, it's a good question. You know, it's just something, you know, you, you think of, you know, what, how, how do you keep up? You know, just there's th that meta, that existential yeah. question, I suppose. But you're right. I mean, you guys, you have been in your storytelling and the gaming, the only Star Trek in the last eight years. And it's been great. And you know, we're not going to be the only Star Trek stor stories, right. place to get Star Trek stories anymore. But now we are going to be the only place that you can actually... We're going to be so contemporary with what's going on now. There is so much new Star Trek coming out, right? How, how much we can leverage is overwhelming at this point now. We, I was coming up on like, geez, what are we going to do now? I have like a couple new stories that I want to take Star Trek online, but then I was kind of running out of ideas. We hit every quadrant, we hit every major thing. I mean, wow, it's like I, every so often I'll go back and go, yeah, that's right, man. This is like a fanboy's dream. I can't believe that. That Corbinite, I've opened up my, 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 my Connie and it's like, oh yeah, I got a Corbinite maneuver on there. Like how esoteric is that? It's wonderful that we have that level of detail and fan service in our game. But now we've got Age of Discovery, we've got the Picard show, we've got the animated show, who knows whatever else that might be coming out with. And we're working with CBS. I mean, CBS was just here uh, about a month ago talking about what Discovery is doing and what CBS is doing. And we, you know, we get spoilers and we get info and how can we leverage that? You know, for stuff that hasn't even come out yet, we're already in those discussions. What, what can we do? So. I don't think for a second that it's a bad thing that we're not that that we're now no longer the only place yeah. to get Star Trek. I think all it does is just give us it just puts us more in the forefront, and it'll it, I think it'll just make us more popular, and more accessible to all the new and old fans. So in the last ten minutes that we have, I want to pass the mic over to Winters because he's got uh, a few questions from the community, from the Armada, and players who are actively playing. Yes, yeah, so one of the first questions that I have is Discovery playable Klingons. Will they be coming into the game at any point? Yes, not necessarily a Discovery playable faction like Federation, like you won't necessarily. Right, okay. There is no immediate plan to play as now I can play in the Discovery era with my own Discovery tutorial era as a Klingon, but you'll be able to play as one in contemporary uh, uh, Star Trek Online. You'll get those assets. So it'll either be a species or something, or a costume unlock or something like that. Exactly. Uh, the next one is an issue going back to uh, Victory is Life. Free-to-play players uh, are, have uh, quite a few have told us that they find the Admiralty system very difficult because they only get one ship. Whereas if you play as a Federation or Klingon or you know any of the other ones, you level up and you gain a, a new ship every 10 levels. Is this an issue that you're aware of and that might possibly be addressed in the future? It is uh, something that we are aware of. Remember, you, you can earn a free ship with, with many of our events. One of the things that you saw us do in Victory is Life is uh, allow you to added a six master six tier mastery so that way you can play those ships on other factions we really want to do that with more ships right so staying on uh Jem'Hadar, is veteran ships likely to be added for Jem'Hadar characters or will they just stay with their faction uh veteran ships jeremy is and thomas are very keen on adding a Jem'Hadar veteran ship i do not when, know when that will happen it gets more and more expensive every time we add a faction to keep supporting that. So it's just right. It's not easily sustainable. So there will be sacrifices to have right. to be made to make that happen. So the next one that I have is um, you guys put an awful lot of effort into creating, we'll say, exclusive content 
that um, fans and players can get at conventions. Some examples of that is, you know, the EMH Mark One bridge officer, the TOS bridge officers, and so on. There's a huge list of this stuff. In reality, it's a very small minority of the player base that actually gets to get their hands on this gear. One thing that we've had brought up time and time again is, would you ever consider adding this stuff to the GPL store and give that store some value? I don't know what we're going to do the GPL store. Um, I I don't think that we would put that in the GPL store. Those yes, those things are only available to a small number of players. That was on purpose. There, I think that's what that's for. That is for you come out and you and and you ex- experience that. It is exclusive, just like getting the pins at PAX. They're supposed to be rare and they're supposed to be uh, a prize for coming out and seeing us. And I think that we devalue that if we make it available to to uh, to everybody. And uh, it's no longer an exclusive. I mean, that's just. That's the thing. I don't know how to reward people with certain some things and then make sure that everyone can get it too. This is not something you just see necessarily with those kind of items. I do know that when we made uh, Victoria's Life uh, holograms, we kept some to give away elsewhere. Like for instance, not all the actors got holograms. There's okay. right. There's so so there are some other characters that we held on to to make, make accessible elsewhere. But I yeah. think we like giving those exclusives, and we made it. Also, a little more accessible this year. You didn't have to be, be there. You just had to, if you wanted to just give us your email addresses of your friends, we just did it by email address this year. If you had someone that you knew that was going, they could have gotten one for you too, and we'll probably do that again next time. Uh, the next thing that I want to bring up is Lek. I'm sure you've seen from the feedback from the players, uh, he was an extremely popular character in Quark's Lucky 7. And that has become the most favorite mission for every, uh, a lot of players in Star Trek Online. And a lot of people are asking, is he coming back? I see no reason why he shouldn't come back. I have no immediate story plans because we're focused on Discovery Era. Right. And so I don't think you'll be seeing him for a while. But absolutely, if there's a popular character, we'll, I'm sure we will sure we will see him again. I wanted to ask uh, this question from our Patreon supporter, David S. Can you talk to us a little bit about the, the winter plans ahead or summer, you know, next year? For instance, he's, he, he misses the night map on Risa. Um, I don't think there's anything big added to, to the winter events uh, this year. I know there's some... I know the rewards, there's some new rewards, but there's no new event, I don't think, added to winter event. Next summer, it's too far out, I don't know. So I want to end with this. Al, you know that uh, Deep Space Nine uh, isn't on the top of my list of the series. And I do want to say that I did complete my entire rewatch of Deep Space Nine, just recently, just a few weeks ago. And we're currently going through season by season on, uh, on screen for our patrons. Victory is life is by far my favorite part of Deep Space Nine. Well, thank you very much. I think what you guys did with Deep Space Nine-related content in Star Trek Online is some of the best Deep Space Nine content available. Um, well, I, it's very high praise, and so I, I thank you I thank you for that. I think we have the opportunity to be a little more flexible than network television was 20 or 30 years ago. 25, wait, how long is it now? 25 years ago? 25, yeah. 25 years ago, so that might have helped a little bit. I don't think that we could have done done that without the background, the depth of which the characters that we were able to bring would not have resonated if the writing of that show wasn't so exceptional. Someone like the subtleties of Garrick, not just, right? right. right? The, oh, yeah. That would have been meaningless without who he was as an actor and, and who the, what the writers made him in that show. Right. It's the same thing with Quark and Kira and all the Odo and all the characters we brought there. 
it's just standing on the shoulders of giants. It just is. It's. I don't think that we could have done we could have done anything that good with some of the other shows because I think that there's something very very special about the depth and complexity of the DS9 characters that allowed us to do something something so unique. A very humble and diplomatic response, sir. I try. <laughs> <laughs> well, Al, we want to thank you for stopping by and chatting with us about Age of Discovery and Star Trek Online as a whole. It's always a pleasure to have you, and, and we have to do it more often for sure. Anytime. And I look forward to your, um, to your reviews of Discovery, and I'll be listening very carefully. Well, Al, thank you so very much. It's always a pleasure. Until next time. Uh, until next time, go Team Bidet. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, this is the part of the show where we open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Episode 386's community question was, Who or what do you think Javier Botet will play in his Star Trek Discovery appearance? From Patreon, Shane Hoover writes in, I'm putting my money on him playing a Talosian, but maybe he'll be the mysterious Red Angel. Either way, it's great to have such quality actors on the show. Ooh, ooh, I want him to be the Red Angel, and I want the Red Angel to be Tiket, the Iconian. I know, yes. I yes, want that I want so bad. Tiket was know, such a too. great character in Star Trek Online. That whole, like, for anybody who either plays Star Trek Online or hasn't done yet, the Iconian War is still my favorite of all of Star Trek Online. Sorry. Um, it just had a great, great backstory. They took like this little nugget of truth from canon and then just expanded upon it and created this amazing society uh, for the Iconians. And they're great. I would love to see Tiket as the Red Angel. From Twitter, Chris Keen writes, Not wanting to be rude, but I've never heard of the man. But looking at his frame, I'd say he could be playing a Kelpian. I got to call you out on this, Chris, because I don't, I, it's not going to be a Kelpian. It's just not. Although, well, I mean, I guess technically speaking, it could, but why the, why the smoke and mirrors, you know? From Facebook, Dave Rutley writes in, I'm torn between Nausicaan or Gorn. Both are formidable species that have constantly entangled with the Federation. The Gorn, since TOS episode Arena, have not been overly used in Star Trek, and although a playable race in Star Trek Online, never seen hardly at all since Arena. And Nausicaan have rarely been cast as well. Picard's heart-stabbing encounter scene in TNG's Tapestry, some mentions in Enterprise, and encounters on Deep Space Nine are about all we have. So I would like to put my one gold-pressed latinum strip on Gorn. Whoa, whoa, Dave, lest we forget the video game adaptation of the JJ-verse films, where the Gorn were like these dinosaur lizard creature things. I also would love to see more Nausicaans. They're actually one of my favorite underrated murky villains of TNG. Play damn jot, human. <laughs> From PriorityOnePodcast.com, Tyler Maxwell says, Going off Botet's tease of an old creature from Trek, which I'm choosing to mean that it's something from TOS... My bet is on, drumroll please, Howard the Hungry Horda. Complete with his weird crusty pizza-like skin texture and penchant for dissolving most kind of rocks and minerals just by sliding over them, Howard the Hungry Horda has to be the most interesting role that a creature actor like Javier Botet could hope for, right? Smiley face. Last week we posted our title it Thursday and boy did you folks deliver on the titles. 
The photo is of Elijah in his Stowe uniform, performing his parody of Stars at Geek Life Rules Cosplay Cabaret. There were so many great posts, but our choice this week goes to Sun See All Silverfall. Quote, What's the deal with life pod rations? End quote. Don't cheat yourself. Head over to our Facebook and Twitter pages and give all the replies a read. So, Jake, I hate you. Um, <laughs> there were so many great comments. A lot of them being songs, like actual like different ideas for songs that I may have to like try to develop on. Mike Keefe's Don't Cry For Me, Captain Cisco. The truth is I hated Deep Space Nine. That was great. I love that one. These were fantastic. I got to say my favorite was my keeps. That cuz I really just blurted out singing it the moment I read it. <laughs> nice. But thank you to everybody. Congrats to uh Sunseal. And uh yeah, let's see what other funny pictures we can get the rest of our hosts involved in. Jake <laughs> Well, that wraps up episode 387 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. For more great podcasts like Mission Log and Mission Log Live, Women at Warp, and The Trek Files, visit podcasts.roddenberry.com. But before we go, here are our community questions for this week. Are you looking forward to Eagle Moss's new Enterprise F and the USS Emmett Till? And if not, what other ships would you like to see produced by Eagle Moss? Also, what Trek actor would you like to see cameo in the new Picard series? And lastly, what are your thoughts about the new Star Trek animated series? Are you scared? Are you cautiously optimistic? Are you really excited? Captains, you know we love hearing from you. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash priority one podcast or find us on twitter or instagram at priority one pod don't miss a thing from the star trek multiverse catch our episodes every friday by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com you can even join in on the fun while we record our episodes live on tuesday nights at around 11 30 p.m eastern on facebook keep an eye on our social media channels for details and if that wasn't enough, be sure to spend time with Admiral Winters and the Priority One Armada. Saturday nights, the Armada takes to our Twitch channel, where they review the latest Star Trek Online and Armada news, as well as spotlight some of the amazing members in our community. Each week, we team up with you, the viewers, and earn things like reputation marks and dilithium. There's always something for viewers like you to catch on our Twitch stream. Follow us on twitch.tv forward slash Priority One. And if you'd like to join the Armada, visit PriorityOneArmada.com. And if that's still not enough for you, then be sure to watch for The Cutting Room. Join Priority One audio editor Brandon Parker on Thursday nights at around 6.30 p.m. Eastern and watch as he turns our Tuesday hijinks into Friday gold. That link again is twitch.tv forward slash Priority One. Promotional consideration for this episode has been supplied by BioBidet. Find out more at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash BioBidet. This episode of Priority One Podcast is also brought to you by our patrons through Patreon.com. Find out more and add your support at Patreon.com forward slash Priority One. Even if you can't make a financial contribution, please help spread the word about our show and invite your fellow Trekkies. It's your support that keeps us going. Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency podcast at guardfrequency.com. 
Each episode, the guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to HeroesRisePodcast.com to discover their secrets. Thanks to our audio editors, Brandon Parker, and new recruits, James Golding and Rand Hurl. Thanks to producer Jake Morgan for assisting in the writing of our show and social media endeavors, including Title It Tuesday, though I still hate you for this one, and Awesome Survey Sundays. Thanks to our graphic artist and web designer, Henry Pomper. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. Thanks to Patreon associate producers, Navy, Boats Lou, and Jim DeVico. Most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Su, no. Engage. Anthony, check it out. Sync three. Did you just say check, check it, it out? out? You said check. Oh it out. Oh my god, you are fired. I said trek no, it out. Uh, I, well, we have the recording. No, so I said we'll find out. Check it out. I think they should be horta, horta, <laughs> horta or something. Horta doors. Horta doors. Horta doors. It doesn't really work. <laughs> Okay. I, and by the way, I'm now announcing a new contest. Whoever can come up with the best Star Trek themed food puns, you win. Carry on. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh... <laughs> oh man, I have to burp. It's like it's just like an episode of Rick and Morty. This <laughs> just uh, in. God. Ugh. Added a six master, six tier mastery, so that way you can play those ships on other factions. Um, we really want to do that with more ships. Right. So, so that way you could, if you had another account. I was walking right. away from this interview. He's like, I'm um, done. Bye. See ya. <laughs> yeah, I'm done. <laughs> Before you go, is there anything that I have said that has upset you over the last few weeks? Because there's usually something that you come at me with. <laughs> and, I, and I do want to give you that opportunity. No, I, no, you haven't said anything that has upset me. I'm just more upset that Anthony doesn't like Rick and Morty. So, I know, right? It's terrible. It's just, uh, I mean, I can understand, like, yeah, I haven't seen the show, but seen the show and not like the show? God, <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. It sounds like you're about to start a Abraham Lincoln speech. I am. <laughs> <laughs> Four years and seven years ago, our forefathers set forth <laughs> to answer uh, community questions.
<laughs> and get your feedback. Podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network.